we should have recorded yesterday on April Fool's Day. We could oh, have done something fun. fun. No, I don't have the energy for that. Dang it. All right. Today is uh, Friday, April 2nd, 2021. This is Sarah Comstock. I am recording with Professor Dan Burgard. Uh, Dan, do I have your permission to record this podcast? You do. You awesome. Do. Great. Like I said, that won't go in, but uh, it is apparently a requirement on everything. So at some point in the next couple of weeks, you'll get a um, form from one of my student staff asking for permission to put this permanently in the archives. Totally up to you, but you have to sign your life away. <clears throat> well, hey there, loggers. Hope you are doing well after my extended break and your hopefully spring break or something like a spring break anyway. If you're just tuning in for the first time, this is Mrs. C's Top 5 List, a show featuring the famous and infamous members of the Puget Sound community. I hope that you listened into last week's episode that was featured, uh, part due of Vivian Wynn's interview, during which we actually talked about her lists this time. It was a great episode, as was the previous episode with Vivi that was less of a list episode and more of a 90-minute dialogue about racism, oppression, and, you know, the general state of the world. But don't let that description send you running, folks. It was definitely worth listening to. And on to today's guest. Uh, very, excited, very excited to start April with Professor Dan Burgard. Uh, he is both the famous and infamous part of Puget Sound People. Famous because he just won the highly coveted Murdoch Award based on his research and his mentorship of undergraduate students. And infamous, I think, because his research is all about drugs in our wastewater. At least that's what I read anyway. Uh, Professor Burgard did his undergraduate work at Colorado College and then got his PhD in chemistry, I'm guessing, from the University of Denver. He's been at Puget Sound since 2006 and is currently both faculty and chair of the chem department. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you. Good to How's be here. Yeah. <laughs> it is good to be here. I know this is like, I feel like I finally made it. Uh, you made it to a, a podcast that has 35 active listeners. Hey, that's that's more active listeners than possibly in one of my classes. This is great. <laughs> uh, well, you know, one of my those active listeners is uh, is undoubtedly my parents. So, um, you know, it's <laughs> not sure how really far reaching this is, but that's okay. We're we're going to do it anyway, right? Right. So we are a year past uh, the start of the pandemic and um, has, as has become kind of customary at the start of the show, uh, I have to ask, how did the pandemic go for you? How has this little fun societal experiment been for you and your family? Well, I think the key there is, is and the family. Um, you know, I feel like I can still put my nose to the grindstone and be in lab and whatnot, but trying to get two kids, a seven and nine year old through um, has been a challenge. And uh, as with at Puget Sound uh, at the beginning of the pandemic and, and trying to do that with elementary school and last spring was kind of crazy. And, and by kind of, I mean, totally crazy. And it gave me a, a good understanding of sort of what it takes to educate um, your, your own offspring, which is never going to be very easy. And then also at that age, um, we have been incredibly fortunate that they have been in person uh, for school this year. And so I don't even understand how families can do it right now where they are juggling so much. And so I just feel incredibly fortunate to have them um, 
uh, doing that. So I would say on that side, um, you know, the travel's been tough. I really, I, you know, you, you've, uh, I'm from uh, not Washington. And so being able to see family is, has been basically not existent. Um, but my wife's family's around. So, you know, it's those connections that I think everyone's missing. So seven and nine, what grades are those? Uh, first and third. First and third. Wow. Yeah. Especially for the the first grader, that's a that's a tough year to be in this situation. But they're both in person five days a week. They're both in person five days a week right now. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that is really great. It's amazing. So, what did you find? Uh, what subjects were the hardest for you to teach or help teach your offspring last year? My one of my my oldest daughter told me straight. Well, Dad, you don't know how to teach math. Is it? Uh, uh, excuse me, I teach math all day long in my chemistry classes, but she was convinced that I, I don't do math. And so she sort of tuned out. Um, uh, it, uh, it, it depended on the day, <laughs> depending on the day, what thing they, they didn't think I could teach, but, uh, it, it's been, um, and then the days there's been quarantine. So even when we're in person, there's still some times where if they have a slightly elevated, you know, temperature or a sniffle, then they're at home with us, and then we, you know, scramble to try to make that work. And uh, it's been an interesting little view um, into their world as they then watch online from a, for an in-person class. And uh, and and uh, anyway, it, it's uh, I don't uh, I don't think there's one particular thing they said I was not as good at, but uh, in general, I just am not the teacher. So. Well, you know, teaching college students is a is a bit removed from teaching first and third grades so you know you probably just don't have a handle on new math or whatever they're teaching these days in in math it's true uh now before i came here uh i did teach high school so i was getting a little closer to uh to the first and third grade uh i'm currently coaching soccer for the third grade uh daughter and and that is a squirrely bunch like mostly if i can just keep them in a straight line uh, to pass the ball back and forth, I feel like I'm doing doing well. But yes, there there are certain skills and talents that uh, that are good for that age group, and I'm not sure I totally have them, but I'm working on it. I coached my son's soccer team. He was probably second or third grade, um, and was confronted by one of the parents about uh, one of the kids on our own team um, was was being a little bossy. And the amount of flack I got, you know, they were not good by any means. Our little team was not a good team. There were, you know, it wasn't as if some state championship was at stake or anything. Um, but boy, I got a lot of flack from this one parent and thought, I don't know that I really need to do this in my off time. It's uh, it was a little more than I really needed to to do. But I I give a lot of credit to to parents out there who are continuing to coach and, and teach. It's, it is a lot of work these days, a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, yes. I think if it's a volunteer coach, you just, you know, you just say thank you and away you go. Exactly. Unless you're willing, I mean, you know, if you want to come coach, that's great. You teach these, uh, you keep a bunch of third graders in line. It's a lot harder to, uh, to do than most people think, I imagine. Um, so how has it been to teach chemistry virtually? I, and I, I ask specifically because I've, I've had the good fortune of, of interviewing some of your other faculty colleagues and each 
area, I think, has its own unique challenges, right? Um, I talked to uh, Gerard Morris about trying to teach music and music theory virtually. Um, that's a that's a tough situation. What's it like though teaching chemistry, which can be a bit hands on in some of the lab work? Yeah, what's that been like for you? Well, so second semester last year when it really hit. Um, I was going in and filming little snippets of me in the lab, trying to show uh, like the actual physical manipulations that I was doing. To I think it's really important to be able to visualize what you're what you're seeing, or what 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 would be going on. And and what was nice is the first half of that semester they had done a lot of it, so they these were just sort of like building on top of that. But so I would go in and I'd make little videos, and we'd they'd be supposed to watch those ahead of time that were you know six or ten minute videos. And then we'd sort of talk through, hey, did this make sense? And then I would I would give them some data and then have them go into breakout rooms and work up the data, which isn't necessarily all that different than what they would have done otherwise. Mm. Um, and I got sort of mixed re re uh, reviews on that. I think, I think if you were in a breakout room where people were willing to talk, I think they got a lot done. And I think I also heard that there were some where everyone just sat there and stared at each other and didn't know what to do with the data or wanted to do it on their own. And, or didn't, you know, everyone was so new at this breakout room stuff that, you know, now, I don't know, maybe people are, maybe students are better at that. I don't typically monitor breakout rooms and I haven't done that much recently, but but the, initially that was sort of our way to get going. And then this fall, uh, in sort of an incredible turn of events, I had uh, uh, the, the main lab class had 22 of the 23 upper classmen students were um, in Tacoma. And so there are a few classes that were allowed to meet in person. And right. so I actually had this class of 22. The 23rd was actually in London, England. So uh, she would just uh, come remote in and basically, you know, not quite a GoPro, but I had one student who sort of like carried her around the lab and helped her. And she was, you know, she she was up for it. And although it was like at 11 o'clock at night there. Um, but But, you know, I think that last semester or in the, in the fall was so like they the students craved that that was their only in-person um anything and so uh, those those four hours a week except then i had to cut it up into two two hours because i could only bring in four students at a time but i think they really appreciated that um the very first lab i sent out all these parts and they were going to make this thing at home and it was going to be so great and all I got from them was like, that was terrible. This is so hard. I don't know how to do this at home. And so uh, af afterwards, all the in-person stuff, I think they really appreciated. So that was really nice. Um, and then this semester, I've been uh, all lectures virtual and all labs uh, were required to be in person. And so um, that's worked out pretty well, I think. I mean, it's we're kind of back to normal in the lab. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. Um, how are your students at the moment? It's, you know, this is a, a beginning of April, you know, March is a really always kind of a tough, uh, tough month in the spring semester as I, you know, it's, it's past the point where everybody's excited. Um, and then it's, you know, March is, yeah, March just is a tough, is a tough month in general. And now we're starting April, we got some relative sunshine are, are students feeling that sunshine or is it is it uh, still a lot of worry and and exhaustion trying to get through uh, a pandemic i think everyone's exhausted i think everyone is exhausted for all sorts of reasons and all the reasons um and i think 
I mean, mostly I've just been trying to hope that they are giving me grace and I'm giving them grace. I mean, I haven't, I haven't given anyone taking points off for a late assignment this whole, you know, academic year. Like we just, we just, we're just missing some things. And, and for that reason, you know, I think we just have to, to be a little more willing to, to let that go. Um, I would think my students again are are pretty happy to be in doing science because um, the the classes I see now were not in none of them were in person in the fall, uh, mm -hmm. and so you know this is this for some of them the first years this is the first time they've ever been in a lab at, at Puget Sound so uh, and then those who are sophomores this is only you know they had maybe one semester one and a half semesters before so I, uh, I they when I actually see them I think they're excited to be there. But as far as how well they're doing for other things, I, my, my students have been pretty engaged in, in the online classes as far as talking uh, and, and sort of being part, participating in it. Um, so I, you have to ask them. But uh, I, I know that we are, you know, I think everyone's just waiting for the semester to be over. And, yeah. yeah, waiting, waiting for whatever commencement's going to look like and and hoping that uh yeah, hoping that next fall starts off with some kind of regularity. Um, so f for those of us who are not following the very, uh, very glamorous world of chemistry awards, um, you are the winner of, at, at, you know, this is all audio, so you, uh, listeners cannot see you shaking your head and, and looking a little sheepish, um, but you are. Tell us more about the Murdoch Award. Um, what's it for? How'd you win it? And is it really as prestigious as, as it <laughs> is made to be? <laughs> the Linwood S. Swanson Award uh, is given by the Murdoch Charitable Trust. Uh, the Murdoch Trust is a huge uh, contributor to Northwest uh, private institutions. Our institutions uh, certainly benefits from um, our students benefit, our faculty benefit, the, the physical spaces in our buildings um, have, have benefited from, from the trust. Um, uh, I was a runner up uh, two years ago, last, whatever, the year before this. Um, and uh, they take, the Murdoch Trust takes this very seriously and it's their biggest award that they give out. Um, and they come and do a full spread with like an outside film crew and they film you and they talk to your students. And um, it's, uh, it's all very, fancy and they put a, they even put an advertisement in the journal science which is like the top scientific journal little half page spread with my picture and um i would say that uh sure in the northwest in private in like small schools uh this is yeah this is the top award that murdoch gives out and they give out a, a lot of money and so this is the, this is it's great it's it's amazing um uh, i remember two years ago when i saw it announced and and somebody else got it um i remember thinking like whoa like this is they're they're making a big deal out of this um i you know uh, i i didn't you know i don't do what i do to get this award so you know getting the recognition is nice but um i would keep doing this regardless of the recognition and so uh sure it's always nice to be recognized well, congratulations. It is. It does seem like a very big deal. So I, tell, tell uh, you and I have talked about this a little bit. Uh, actually, I think maybe a couple of years ago. Um, but talk a little bit about um, the, the drugs in wastewater research that you have become somewhat well known for. 
yes, it's actually I, that's kind of fun. And I'm I, I'm probably simplifying that no, statement, no. right? No. Drugs and wastewater. Yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, that's what we do. Yeah, sure. We, we, that's what we measure. Um, and I say we because it's been a long process for uh, a decade now with a lot of students helping me along the way. Um, um, and, and, and it has been fun. It's a, it's a niche that other places, other schools, big schools haven't quite gotten into yet. And so if somebody needs to know about using wastewater to determine the use of compounds, my name surfaces to the top pretty quickly in the United States. Um, and, and that's pretty fun. You know, I'm happy to ride that out as long as I can. But back over a year ago, uh, a little over a year ago, when people started thinking about using wastewater to track COVID, there was an article in Wired Magazine, I think, where I was one of the first people they talked to because they're like, hey, you do wastewater. Like, tell us about all about this. And it's like, yeah, but I, I don't actually know anything about COVID. So, you know, pretty quickly they found out I was not the person to talk to. But but in terms of looking for illicit drugs uh, and pharmaceuticals and, and, and consumption in wastewater, uh, that's what we've been working on. And we started with our very own campus when a student asked or told me that everyone was using Adderall. And uh, we thought, well, let's go see if everyone is using Adderall. So we tested uh, the water coming out of this, the, the wastewater coming and wastewater, by the way, is just a nice way of saying sewage. Um, so wastewater, uh, coming out of the South, uh, quad dorms, um, they all lead to one sampling point And, um, we were able to sort of track over, uh, an academic year at some high stress and low stress times to see if Adderall use, which Adderall is just time release amphetamine. Uh, if we can see amphetamine, um, kind of track with, uh, with high stress. And indeed, we saw that second semester finals, uh, there was a, a quite a big increase. Um, and so then we took that show a little further and went to, to the central treatment plant and in Tacoma and some other treatment plants. And we've been monitoring in uh, Seattle's main treatment plant now for um, uh, about seven years. We're part of a, an international uh, organization where for a long time, for five years or so, we were the only U.S. lab contributing to this group of uh, over 50 different uh, um labs in different countries, uh, sort of tracking um, the use of methamphetamine, cocaine, uh, ecstasy, things like that. And the reason why it's such a powerful technique, complementary technique to other types, is that that's not data we necessarily have a great understanding of. Typically, if I were to say, hi, Sarah, how much cocaine do you use on average? Have you used it in the last 30 days? You don't tend to get a super um, uh, unbiased uh, answer for that. Um, other pharmaceuticals, there are some sales data you can use, but for illicit drugs, it's you, you don't have those those numbers. And so, for things like that, for things like COVID, for things that you don't otherwise know, wastewater can provide a, a way of sort of tracking uh, amount or at least trends over time. Hmm. So it is really kind of a big deal. And, and it, it does this so you have the you have the chemistry perspective of being able to track that. Um, are folks using your research to then influence policy or or changes somewhere at the system the systemic level? Sure. Um, so the 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 first like big funded project that I had uh, that was funded by the National Institute uh, of Health, uh, specifically National Institute of Drug Abuse, um, was funded because we wanted to look to see if you legalize marijuana in, in Washington state, what actually happens? Does everyone who uses it keep using it, but they get it from a different store? 
or does everyone now start using more of it? Uh, new new people brought on to to start uh, using, and so that's the question that nobody knew. Colorado and, and Washington legalized, and the, nobody knew what was going to happen to consumption. So we said, let's track um, sales trends and let's track what's in the wastewater. And if the wastewater shows an increase in use, then okay, you legalize and and more there's more total use. And what we found was that the sales went up some huge amount, 70% per quarter for, for three years in a row. And the, 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 the amount we saw increase in the wastewater was like 9% per quarter. And so, yes, it ticked up, but it didn't really tick up at the same speed as the, as the sales. And so uh, it looked like, um, for the most part, the stuff that was coming out of legal stores was mostly, mostly replacing what was already sort of out there. And that was one of the goals was to try to uh, remove the illicit market. Um, uh, we've done a follow-up study to that three years later to show that uh, we ended that study in 2016. And in 2019, we showed that there's basically no change from the end of 2016. Hmm. And that basically the, the retail market seems to have sort of plateaued. It's sort of like we've sort of reached, a, it's mature now. Um, interestingly, it's actually gone up quite a bit during the COVID, uh, both alcohol and, and, and cannabis use has, has uh, have sales have gone up um, for, you know, for the, all the things people are dealing with. But um, yeah, so that was, uh, to answer your question from five minutes ago, uh, uh, yes, when I proposed this, uh, there were agencies, the Department of Health and other folks who were, who were uh, tasked by the state legislature to track this were immediately asked, calling me up saying like, hey, what are you finding? Because our survey data is gonna lag by two or three years and we would love to know something sooner. Um, and so they asked me that question and unfortunately we were still trying to figure our own stuff out. So we didn't actually get that answer to them all that quickly, but, um, it is certainly being used, uh, looked at by policy folks. Um, and it's also why I partner with drug epidemiologists at university of Washington, because they help me turn my chemistry data into actually useful epidemiological data. And we get it published in journals where people who make some of these decisions actually look at it. Um, so I could publish it just in chemistry journals, but the chemists aren't the one making drug um, uh, decisions at the sort of policy mm. level. So, I, my recollection of the beginning of this um, this research was that the uh, the the pickup point of wastewater was uh, was out in in the Wheelock Student Center parking lot, and I vaguely remember the student that worked with you on this. But um, and you you kind of answered this, but it. it was everyone doing Adderall at that time or was it just an increase? I think you said it was an increase in um, toward the end of the year during the, the finals part. But um, was it a, as significant as the student theorized? Right. So one thing wastewater can tell you is about usage, but it can't tell you about users. Mm. So you could have one person using 10 times more that looks like 10 people using a little bit more. So we will never be able to tell you about individual users. So we can't tell you if everyone is using Adderall, but we can say, um, so uh, to dig into the weeds just a little bit, uh, we were able to completely anonymously uh, uh, figure out roughly how many students in, in those dorms were prescribed uh, uh, Adderall, um, um, uh, because of, again, completely anonymous, but uh, we asked uh, ResLife to send the names of the people 
over to the health center. We never looked at the names. The health center was able to look at those names and look at their um, medical records and say, and just do a tick like, yes, yes, yes. And so it said basically, yes, there were 20 students who were in that dorm that were prescribed Adderall according to their, their, their incoming charts. And so um, that was our ability to say, okay, well, on the first week, low stress, um, there is this much Adderall in the wastewater. And so let's attribute that to 20 students, let's say then that, that were taking Adderall. And then if we saw uh, that uh, amount increase by X amount, we can say, okay, well, if that amount is for 20 people, then this must be for X number of people. And so by doing that, it showed about a quarter of the dorm provided everyone was taking the exact same amount and the same dosage, which is not true. But if they, if they were, then it would be about a 25% of that dorm would have been taking some uh, uh, amount of Adderall based on sort of like the baseline uh, for people taking it sort of as prescribed as what we assumed in the uh, low stress first week of school. Does that make sense? It totally made sense. And, and um, folks, if you're just, you know, tuning into this at the 20 minute mark, again, this was very anonymous data. So it's not as if you were tracking, you know, student X doing anything. Um, it was all very anonymous. And, and the point was never to, because I my also my recollection was that there was a little bit of uh, discomfort from some of our students that we would somehow be tracking this use to their particular residence hall room, which was one, A, not possible, and B, not the point of of the research. So, but it, but it's a great it's a great question, and the ethics of this research are something I have to constantly think about. Um, there is no DNA that is stamped onto amphetamine that comes out of your body, so uh, we cannot go back and say, ah, that amphetamine molecule came from this person. Uh, now you can sample further and further uh, closer to the toilets to sort of say, okay, well, whoever's using this toilet, you know, boom, it's it's these guys, but. It's just not practical and it's not the point. Like I'm, I'm sticking with all of my research is based on public health, not on sort of punitive trying to find out who's doing, who's, who's you know, where the wrongdoing is. And so, um, or, or, you know, whatever doing it is, I don't even want to put, I don't want to qualify with wrong. Um, I just want to, so, so, you know, and the school was generally interested because I would say that, you know, this sort of like, oh, over the years, we have a sense of, you know, alcohol use on this campus. We have a sense of uh, cannabis use on this campus. But that that sort of that prescription drug uh, use or misuse um, uh, is something that is, I think, you know, growing and trying to get a sense of, of how much of that on campus just to like say like, hey, you know, is this something that's a major problem or is this, you know, what is or does this confirm some of our thoughts? Um, I, you know, again, that's sort of uh, should there be some more education on this? Uh, I think uh, it, it was there were uh, it, this campus was was receptive and and I saw no sort of like um, clampdown or anything after that. So it was really just a point of information, uh, which is really how I hope to use our data. Uh, so. Well, congratulations again on receiving receiving the Murdoch. I know it's a it's a big deal and um, it is great to see your your face plastered up literally everywhere at the moment. Mm. You're all over the place, so well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> all right, we are gonna take a bit of a musical break and listen into one of Dan's top five favorite bands. He didn't list favorite songs, just bands. Uh, so the always amazing Hannah Washburn, who helps me with this show from time to time, picked a song from uh, the lengthy catalogs of each band. And first up on Dan's favorite band list is 
Led Zeppelin. And the song is? What, did, what do you think she picked? We're going to do this all day. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, there's such a list. I don't know. I really uh, don't know. She picked Stairway to Heaven, uh, oh. as you as you might uh, have imagined. Uh, we are going to take a short break, listen into Stairway to Heaven by the always ever popular Led Zeppelin, and we'll be back in a second. Okay, so this is all get said edited out. So if you need to take a water break or whatever, you know, have at it. I actually don't like Stairway to Heaven, but that's okay. <laughs> you don't. Mm -mm. Nope. I, I don't. Uh, I, uh, it's, I it's, you know, you know, it's kind of overplayed, but it's. Um, do I get to ever say justify why I like these bands or no? Yeah, absolutely. After the after the break, I'll I'll ask you to justify Led Zeppelin, um, and uh, yeah, you can also talk about why you dislike Stairway to Heaven. Totally up to oh, you. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. <clears throat> All right, loggers, thanks for coming back. If you listened to that song, Stairway to Heaven, you are joining us at least eight minutes later. So really, truly, thanks for coming back and not going to uh, get, you know, I don't know, some snacks from the fridge. Uh, so, Dan, you're going to have to talk about your love for Led Zeppelin. Um, you okay doing that for a second? Sure. I mean, it's exactly. a pretty iconic band, but why do you love it? Uh, after my junior year of high school, I started playing bass guitar. Um, I had friends who played uh, drums and guitar and sang and they needed a bass player and I had never played a musical instrument before. And they're like, Dan, no big deal. It's, it's, a, it's only got four strings. You don't even have to play chords. You just, you just, yeah. And so I told my parents, I was like, okay, I'm going to play bass. And they're like, no, you're not. You, you have no interest in music. I was like, no, no, really, I'm going to do this. And they're like, okay, fine. Maybe this summer, this coming summer, you know, go rent a bass and, and, a, and, a, and an amp. And, and So I did the first day, like the lit, like, class was over my friends and I got in the car we went down to the doo-wop shop which is a, 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 a literally uh it's a rental store and uh I got a base it was flaming red it was uh it was it was it was it was great anyway so we then all sat down and I like plugged in and I went to like start playing like a just like I could play a bass and of course I had no idea what I was doing it was really hard but in learning how to play bass <clears throat> I gained quite an appreciation for uh, the rhythm section of bands. And uh, uh, as far as rhythm sections go, um, uh, John Paul Jones and John Bottom in Led Zeppelin are by far the best of, and I, hands down, they are, it is the best rhythm section of, 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 any, of any band. And that's, that's what makes Led Zeppelin the best band of all time is simply because of the rhythm section. Plenty of great guitars, plenty of great singers, but um, what really makes you groove is the rhythm section. Um, and so that's, that's, that's why. So I want to note um, that you said before we started this, that you didn't want to say anything controversial on the show. And yet you let out with Led Zeppelin is hands down the best band ever. Of all you know, time. Of yeah. all time. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It feels like you, you, you actually do want to have a controversy here on this little podcast. Really? Led Zeppelin? The best band of all time. Best, uh, you know, best rock band. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, feel pretty strongly about that. Um, uh, and again, you know, it's, 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 it's mostly because my criteria for that are, is the rhythm section. And for, 
bass and drums, uh, hands down the best. There are other great bassists and drummers out there, um, but but the diversity of types of songs that they wrote and uh, the fact that John Paul Jones then went on to orchestrate music and things, I mean, he, he's just incredible. And John Bonham is in terms of like drum solos, and, I mean, whatever, but together apart, they, they are fantastic. You know, uh, Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, uh, also very good. Um, uh, but for me, my, my thing is the, the, the rhythm section, so. Did you ever finish, figure out how to play the bass? I did, I did. So I, in fact, um, in fact, I, I then played uh, in this band in, in high school and then in a band in college and then uh, a little bit afterwards. And uh, uh, I still have uh, a bass every once in a while. It gets dusted off, comes out. But uh, uh, those days are sort of slowly going away, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can't teach your daughter math, apparently, but maybe you could teach her how to play the bass. That seems like something you know how to do. Uh, we, we could. Uh, my bass amp now has been relegated to having a microphone plugged into it so that they can sing Frozen songs along. Uh, so so that's, uh, that's kind of where it's being used right now. But uh, maybe someday. Someday we'll, we'll teach them how to play the bass. I have to say that um, I'm very glad that my child is... Uh, old enough that we didn't have to file into the frozen fan world. And mm. that makes me sad for you a little bit. Um, we, uh, we have, we, I've, I've become okay with frozen. Um, it took a long time. We were late adopters to frozen. Uh, we didn't use the P word in our house for a very long time. Uh, the princesses, um, and they, uh, the, the second frozen, you know, there's some, Disney's trying, they're trying, but uh, for the most part, it's about strong girls and strong sisters. And so, you know, we're, we're trying. And so, I've, you know, I've given in. Yeah. All right. So uh, speaking of controversies, uh, we're going to get, uh, <laughs> we're going to get up with some other controversy. Um, Cause I know this is what you, we, what you came on this podcast to do was talk about all kinds of controversial things. Mm -hmm. um, and, no more controversial, in fact, than pizza toppings. Mm. Um, you you said, you know, as you you and I exchanged some emails, um, that this list making thing was really hard because it felt like you were having to make political statements. Um, and after leading reading this particular list, I, I see why. Uh, you are in the very very highly debated camp uh, that thinks that pineapple doesn't belong on pizza. Mm. Explain yourself. Uh, here's, here's, here's why pineapple doesn't belong on pizza. If you were going to, uh, get pizza and you're trying to make it, you know, like, Hey, let's get a pizza. Okay. What do you want? I don't really care. You know, I can always pick that off. Right. You can always pick that off. If it's a top, you know, like I don't love mushrooms. I can pick it off or I just deal with it. You can't pick off pineapple because it's ooze has oozed into the pizza. You cannot remove it. So you can pick the, you can pick the, 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 the fleshy, uh, fruit off there, but it doesn't matter. That pineapple's in that pizza. So you have just made it so everyone is eating pineapple, whether they want to or not. Pepperoni, take it off. Sure, fine. There's been some extra animal that has now been on there, but but the flavor of pineapple cannot be removed. And 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 if anchovies were maybe more of a you know really a topping um, that more people use, you know, that's that probably has some fishy. Um, salty part. But anyway, pineapple, as far as normal toppings, you cannot remove it. And therefore, it makes it unfair. And that's why it's the worst topping. 
That is a really very strong statement and actually the most logical one I've actually heard. So well done. I, I appreciate that. I don't, is ooze a, a chemical, you know, like, like that the specific chemical phrase for what pineapple does to a pizza, the oozing of, of pineapple everywhere? Is that? Oh yeah. I mean, ooze goes down to the quantum mechanical level there. I mean, that's, that's for, that's legit there. Um, so I am glad, uh, let's just say that I'm glad that you think I'm two for two now, as far as like why pineapple is not the best and why Led Zeppelin is the best band of all time. So I'm just glad to hear that you bought in on that. So that's great. I, I like pineapple on my pizza. I'm okay with it. I, you know, I, well, but we, we will not be sharing pizza then it turns out. Uh, probably not. I mean, you know, we'd have to, we'd have to go on another academic conference again. Um, and I don't think we had pizza at that academic conference that felt we, like non-pizza. It's true, but you know what? I would eat pineapple on my pizza if I got to go on another comp, go to another conference with you. So let's just, you know, there you go. I, that was, it was a good conference. It was interesting. Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> not sure what came from it, but yes, it was. I, you know, maybe it was just the camaraderie. That's all we needed. That's that's and that's okay. Um, now, green chili. I, oh, I, yeah. I don't need to necessarily explain that, but I do need some clarification. Was the green chili? Is that um, you know green chili from a can? Is it a particular kind of you know New Mexico hatch green chili, right. or is it just any green chili? Uh, that is a shout out to my. 14 years, 15 years I spent in Colorado that I'd never, uh, before moving to Colorado, I'd never seen green chili on a, on a pizza. Um, also a little oozy, um, but it's, you know, I guess I like it. I, uh, I seen that as a topping. I liked it. I liked it as an option in Colorado. And so that, that I put that on my list just to, to sort of a shout out to the, uh, to the 303 and the, uh, the 720. Um, so, yeah. So you're not from Colorado. I am not from Colorado. Where are you from originally? Well, I, I was maybe not going to mention that because I've got a running bet with one of my classes right now. Uh, I've often given my classes 50 guesses to guess the state I'm from. Oh, then don't don't ruin it on this. And I will I mean, say that no class has ever done that. They will guess the same state over and over again, different states twice before they guess the state I'm from. So, yeah. Wow. That is quite the game. Okay. Yeah, well, don't ruin it on this little podcast. Okay. I mean, maybe your callers, these... you could have callers, you know, call in if this was actually live, you know, but anyway. Go They'll comment on the SoundCloud and try and guess in. Excellent. Okay. But you're, you're not from Colorado. What took you to Colorado College? What was interesting about that? Oh, uh, that was uh, wanting to go to a small school, being interested in the block plan, really being interested in skiing, and at that point still being uh, a soccer player and wanting to play in college, and that being a program that was good, but not so good that maybe I wouldn't make the team. So uh, that was, that was uh, you know, at that point, it was more about skiing and soccer and a little bit about the academics of the block plan. And uh, so, yeah, that was it, and a beautiful place. And... Um, yeah, downtown Colorado Springs is gorgeous. It's a, it's a very very lovely area. Down down by the river, yeah. I ran there a couple of years ago. Um, yes, yeah. It's it's a you know it's it's sort of similar to 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 Tacoma in terms of like size of city, proximity to a major city like Seattle and Denver. Um, a, you know, tons of traffic between the two on the major interstate. Um, 
I, I like Tacoma better just because the, 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 there's not this sort of faction of different politics that you have between Colorado College and the rest of the town. Um, I feel like we're, uh, it's, a, it's a little more friendly uh, here in terms of sort of the neighborhood, the school, the, 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 um, uh, the interactions. Um, but any, anyway, uh, but also they both have a big mountain to look at, so yeah. Okay. Um, now that we've covered all of your controversial topics, we're going to go to something else. But first, we're going to take another musical interlude. And next is the mu in the musical category is the Dave Matthews Band. I'm man, you will actually do have a lot of controversy. Um, do you want to guess, uh, or at least attempt to guess, what Hannah picked? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, she went with you know sort of a she certainly went with one of the most iconic. Uh, Led Zeppelin songs. So, uh, in terms of Dave Matthews, in that, um, I don't even know which one is his most popular anymore. So, no, I no. The answer is no. I don't know. Uh, something, and actually, actually, I've not heard of it. It's called Ants Marching. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Oh, oh yeah. This is early on. This is early Dave Matthews with a long um, uh, beginning with a the just the snare drum. So here we go. All right. Here's Ants Marching by the Dave Matthews Band. Back in a second. You're not you're not down with the Dave Matthews band. Huh? I never got into it. Yeah, couldn't couldn't do it. Um, when when yeah. what when were you in college? What years? Uh, ninety one through ninety six. I had a super senior year. Yeah, yeah. I'm ninety two to ninety six. I guess I I guess I thought that was like. I feel like that was sort of prime Dave Matthews time, but maybe not. Uh, I think it was, but two things. One, I lived in Fairbanks, so yeah. we got everything late, um, very, very late. So by the time, I think Dave Matthews, we were still, I would say probably we were still knee deep in grunge because Fairbanks takes a long time for everything to get there. And then you kind of hold on to it for a while. So okay. we were still pretty knee deep in grunge by the time I graduated with my undergrad. Mm, and then maybe getting into a little less grungy, more alt pop kind of stuff. So hmm. yeah, Dave Matthews is never a thing, hmm. at least for me. I shouldn't speak for any of my other 800 classmates though. Okay. But okay. We're going to talk about your favorite books next. Yeah. This is a funny list also. It's a good, this is a good list. I can get behind this list, but <laughs> are there, is there, it's, uh, well, we'll get there. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry, my child's texting me. My uh, okay. Okay. Um, he uh, got his license last month, so. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We're constantly receiving texts about when he leaves the house now, and which is great, but it's also a reminder that he has a driver's license, and I'm not ready for that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, don't the driver's license part. What you have a few more years? I do uh, personally, as a as a as a male driver who had no sense of like 
understanding that you could hurt people or things. Uh, I got a speeding ticket in my first week and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm. It put that it, it really made me, I mean, because the fear of losing my license was so huge after that, that um, it really helped. So um, luckily it wasn't like way too fast, but it was fast enough that I got to like, it calmed me down at least for a year or so when I That's was still learning to drive. Yeah, it's definitely um, the provisional licenses that they have, I think, um, in a lot of states, including Washington now, are incredibly helpful. Um, not having, being able to, uh, being able to have any of your friends in the car um, is just, because that was, you know, at yes. least for me, that was half of the issue was showing off all this power that you now have with this laminated piece of paper um, in front of your friends. And so he can't, he, he'll have another five months that it's only him or my husband or I, which is, yeah. I think is great. So, yeah. but it's great. still, there's, yeah, there's a lot of fear. So, all right, let's get back to it. Welcome back folks. Hope you enjoyed Ants Marching by the Dave Matthews Band. All right, uh, Dan, I'm going to make you uh, defend that choice as well. Dave Matthews Band. I mean, going from Led Zeppelin to this seems like a real big turn for me. Uh, it, for me, it just speaks college. That's what it does for me. Is that that's when that's they you know sort of, I, I was in college from ninety two to ninety six, and so that was in my I, my mind. I know Dave Matthews still continues, but sort of the the really breakout time. Um, and and also uh, musically, I, I I think I would say. Uh, rhythmically and uh, it's actually the, the music is uh, a lot of changes and actually kind of kind of interesting so um, but for me it just it just screams college so yeah very nostalgic all right mm -hmm. I can get behind that I suppose uh, so you listed your favorite books mm -hmm. and I, they're all Harry Potter books you didn't let there's not a chemistry book amongst them they're all the Harry Potter books uh, Philosopher's Stone, Chambers of Se Chamber of Secrets, Prisoner of Azkaban, Goblet of Fire, Order of the Phoenix, Half Blood Prince, and The Deadly Hallows. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, in order, I couldn't put, I couldn't choose. So they're they're just simply in, in the order of, of, of how they came out. Um, uh, one note there that it is the Philosopher's Stone and not the Sorcerer's Stone, or, mm -hmm. right? The, so that's the that's the British version because the one we read is uh, with my kids was the we had a when it came out it was the british version and i think my mother-in-law was over there and had that copy so that's why it's philosopher's stone there which philosopher would never have sold in the us it's not cool enough um uh so here's here's the long-winded uh, answer to this that i'm trying to keep short um i don't read books uh for myself and it's embarrassing and every time we have a little faculty gathering we sit down and we're like, oh, let's break the ice. Let's talk about your most, you know, the book that you, the last five books or 10 books that you've read. And like, you know, which, you know, what's your favorite one? And we go around and all these, you know, English professors have these like great books I've never heard of, I'm sure. And, and, and then it gets to me and I'm like, I haven't read a book for pleasure in five years. Like I, I read some on my honeymoon nine years ago, 10, 11 years ago. Um, I, I if I have time, to, I, I, I have a very hard time reading for pleasure, um, finding a book I like. And um, and if I have time to read, I feel like I should be reading chemistry journals. And so uh, that's, that's it. I don't read for pleasure. Uh, having kids has gotten me to read more. 
as you can tell, there's a certain uh, group of books. I'm not re necessarily reading uh, uh, New York Times bestsellers that are just coming out in nonfiction. But um, uh, so here's what I will say. Let's see. Um, Harry Potter, uh, I, those came out when I was in grad school. And I read them as cover to cover fast as I could. And when the last one came out, I was in the last year of grad school. And uh, we were doing a lot of field work and I saved that book because there was a lot of downtime in the, f in the field and I took it and I just remember just like gobbling it up and just loving it. And, you know, I went to grad school at 28. So I'm reading this book when I'm 31, 32. And, and, and the place it just took me was, was so cool. It was such an incredible rich place. And now to have just read the whole series with my kids and to watch them enjoy it as much as I did is just magical. And to be done and to immediately have both of them start reading them again on their own, including my seven-year-old first grader, like she is on book three now, um, like it made readers out of them that they were already readers, but now especially, uh, mm -hmm. that, is, that, is, that is pure magic. And, you know, um, I know there are some recent political uh, people are, down on jk rowling but what she has done for reading is 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 just unbelievable and so uh the yeah it's uh i actually started reading it and i i, I love that story because it's um i i started reading the series um at the behest of my sister um she had two young girls and had heard something I'm not sure if it was in in her church or somewhere else. She she wasn't sure really whether it was something that she should be sharing with her daughters, and so she asked me to read the first one for her. You know, give me give me a sense of whether this is really actually true. And um, and I I read a lot, so I said, oh yeah, sure, absolutely. And it was it was gripping. Um, and I th said, well, and by that that point, I think maybe I read the Philosopher's Stone and and possibly Chamber of Secrets was already out. And so I said, so, well, I've got to go get this next one. Um, and I was equally uh, gripped by it. I mean, the whole series was amazing. And I actually remember, um, I'm almost positive now that I kind of reflect on it, that it was the Goblet of Fire. I'd had uh, uh, knee surgery, almost my entire knee redone. And so I was laid up on a couch for, you know, six weeks, not moving. And my my husband God bless him, uh, went and stood in line at our lo local bookstore in Fairbanks at midnight, brought that book home to me, and it was there on the coffee table next to the couch the next morning, and I was riveted for, you know, I think I, I read it cover to cover probably in about 36 hours, and then took a nap and then started over again because it was just so good. And it did, um, it does a lot. I think um, it, it, it brought back a generation of readers because there was, there was a time that that was not something that a lot of kids did, you know, was, was picking up a book for um, just, just reading for reading's sake. And it, it did bring a lot of readers back, I think, into the generation, which is great. And, but you don't have a favorite of these. Or, or different question, do you have a least favorite? No, no, I really don't. I, uh, I just take them for they each build. And so without any, you know, without one, then the later ones don't happen. So mm -hmm. no, I, 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 uh, 
no, I, I take them for the whole the whole series. Uh, individually, they're great, but put together. Uh, I the, the that time that I read the the first time I read the the last one, the seventh one, um, I read it so fast that I actually didn't really remember it. Uh, I remembered all the other ones, but when when reading rereading that with my kids, um, realized that uh, I, I had no idea what happened in that one. So it was uh, that was sort of fun to reread it and actually not know what was going to happen. And then every time we finished the book, we'd then watch the movie. Which are fine, but each time seeing the disappointment, you know, a little bit of disappointment. My kids are so like, oh, like just the fact that you know that they get to see them. That yes, movies are fine, but the but the the book is always better. Is is, is great, you know. And I, I I guess I would love to have those books have come out when I was a kid because my mom worked, wanted me so badly to be a reader, and I so didn't want to be. Uh, I just wonder what it would have done uh, for me. So anyway, I think there's always though the um, this and you know potentially it's harry potter there are other books as well that that really kind of um turn that switch for people i um I, I as i said i read a lot and my son was not a reader and i desperately wanted him to to read something anything and um my my recollection and he would probably dispute this he's 16 so he disputes almost everything i say these sure. days but um at some point, and I don't know who got it for him, but somebody sent him in the mail a book by, um, well, it's called Sasquatch, and it's by a fairly famous, you know, young adult writer. And we get in the car, we're going from driving from uh, Salem, Oregon, back to Tacoma, we get in the car, he opened that book. And we did not hear a peep from him. And from then on, I mean, that was it. He was hooked. He, you know, and it was really about finding the kind of book he wanted to read rather than, you know, forcing this, that, and the other. And and but since that point, he's, you know, now that he's dialed in on the kind of book that he thinks is exciting and and interesting, it's it's great. But I will always be thankful for that book. And I wish I could remember who gave it to him, but Sasquatch. It was mm -hmm. And in fact, actually, he got so into Sasquatch, we went and searched for Sasquatch on a road trip one year, and it was magical. So that's great. I I love all of the books. I will tell you though, um, one of them, Half Blood Prince, I think, is my least favorite. And I, the the angst, the, Harry being angsty, was not my thing. I couldn't get past it. Or maybe it was Order of the Phoenix, but one of the two. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's he's definitely a little jerk in some of them, but I, I think that also is, uh, it's good too. It's good to have a character, the lead character, be somebody you know. You're like, hey, that's not cool, you know. Like, you, and I I think that was good. I don't know. I I saw that as a learning thing for my girls to see too. Is sort of like, hey, you know, this is who we love, Harry Potter, and we we are pulling for him. But boy, he's he's being a little turd right now too. So uh, I I hear you, but I, I you know. But but it's also like growing up and going through those years. And of course, you know, you're not going to, if he got it right all the time, nobody would believe that. So uh, there you go. And it was true to that age. You know, there is yeah. a lot of angst going on at that age. So, yeah. all right. We're going to leave Harry Potter and check in with the Rebirth Brass Band and their song Casanova. Thanks again, Hannah Washburn, for picking all of these great songs. We will be back in a second uh, to talk about the uh, top series that Dan's been binging during COVID. Um, very good, very good series list, in fact. Nothing controversial on it, so you should be very excited about that. We'll be in a, back in a second, folks.
Uh, have you heard of Bluey? I have not. That's okay. the only one I haven't heard of. In fact, so I was going to tell you to sell me on it. Uh, it. It's because it's not. It's not for you. Except it kind of is. Uh, uh, it is. It is a. It's a kids show. It's seven minute, seven to nine minute kids show, put out by the Australian government, like the PBS of Australia. And it is like two. Uh, it's dogs. They're bluey for like Australian blue healers, and um, uh, it's these two girls dogs and their parents and um they are so good and they are so good as far as family dynamics that um well anyway i'll explain it i'll explain okay. it. but it's a uh, uh uh i i i i love it and my kids love it and we laugh all the time and it is the sort of thing that like my wife and i when we watch it we just are like oh my god they hit it so well like that's a, like it's a, you know it's like go it uh, one where they go to like pick up Chinese food and that's not quite ready. So they're the dad's sitting there like outside and the kids are like going nuts and the dad's like <laughs> trying to like calm it down, but also trying not to pay attention. And the next thing you know, like it's just like the kid's in a total mess and he's got to figure out, it's just like, it's just so it's, they, they just hit it perfectly, but it's also really nice how the two um, kids play off each other and, and, you know, sort of show uh, anyway, it's totally cheesy, but it's, it's, but clearly you love it. So. I, I do love it. I love it. <laughs> All yeah. right. All right. And we are back. Hope you enjoyed the Rebirth Brass Band. Uh, Dan, this is the only band I haven't heard of on your list. Sell me on it. Uh, this is also, this is, this is college. Uh, we, four of us took a road trip from Colorado to uh, New Orleans via Minnesota, um, which turns out <laughs> to not be a straight line. Uh, at that point, uh, our college was playing in the uh, uh, NCAA tournament, or maybe it was just the, the conference tournament, but uh, it was up in Minnesota. So we went and watched our hockey team play, and then we dropped and went straight down south to New Orleans and then back. And I think we did, I think we, I think we went through 26 states and actually circumnavigated four without ever going into them. Um, in the spring break um, and ran out of gas once in West Texas uh, on a Sunday morning at like 5 a.m. But uh, in going to New Orleans, which one of the guys in the Jean-Marc Alla Duplantier, my roommate and lead singer in my band in college, um, uh, went to visit his his folks uh, in outside of uh, New Orleans and also visit our friend uh, Marshall Hampton Carver the sixth, which is just sort of amazing. Um, went down and uh, uh, was out doing the, the, the scene, went to Tipitina's, Tipitina's, um, and the, the Rebirth Brass Band that night was, uh, was the, as they do often, uh, marching down the street and playing and then like march right into the, into, the, um, uh, into the venue and started playing. And it's just magical, right? I mean, I don't really know this band um, uh, and to just see that experience that, uh, that band walk in and just uh, the energy and the uh, just, it was just awesome. It was just like one of those things that like, you have to see and you got to experience. And it was great. You know, it wasn't jazz fest. It wasn't Mardi Gras. It was just a random old Thursday night and there they were doing their thing. And it was awesome. So that's the rebirth, rebirth brass band. Okay. That's a great story. 26 States over spring break, traditional nine day spring break. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Wow. 
yeah, it was, uh, it was like, I don't know, 3,700 miles or something. And, uh, uh, there was one time we were trying to drive from new Orleans to, uh, shoot, uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama. And I think we like missed the turnoff and went into Florida and I turned around and I had to come back. So I think we actually bagged an extra state that way, but it was, uh, it was anyway, there you go. Uh, that is, it's a, that's a lot of states. How'd the hockey team do? That's the most important question of this. I think it was just the conference championships and I don't think we won. Otherwise we would, it was our senior year. We went to the national championships and, and I think that was junior year. So I, I don't think we were su successful that year. But anyway, enough about Colorado College hockey. What's well, we're going to talk about hockey in a little bit. So, oh, okay. you know, uh, so as I let in, uh, we're going to talk about the top series you recommend binging during mm -hmm. COVID. Um, that is The Mandalorian, Bluey, Queen's Gambit, The Crown, and WandaVision. I have not figured out, you know, I, I haven't yet uh, uh, done the Disney, Disney Plus. Um, so I'm excited about getting to watch Mandalorian and WandaVision. Queen's Gambit was an amazing series. I want to talk about that. But first, tell Bluey, you, you started talking about it during the break. Sell, sell us listeners on Bluey. If your listeners are parents of a seven and nine year old or happen to be seven or nine, uh, Bluey is fantastic. Uh, if you are not in any of those demographics, you might be less uh, excited about it, but it is put out by, and hold on. First of all, total shout out to my colleague, Megan Gessel. Um, she's the one who turned me on to Bluey. It's on Disney Plus also. Um, just told me that she loved it more than her kids did. Uh, and it's only seven or eight minutes long. So, you know, as a parent, you're sometimes looking for the very long show so that you can like put, plug them in and go do your thing. And sometimes you're like, let's just like calm you down. Like, let's watch a show. It's only seven minutes and then we move on and go to bed or something. So uh, my family will gather around and watch an episode of Bluey. It is put out by the Australian government or like Australian PBS. Um, uh, it is so fun. It is a, it's Bluey because it's a family of Australian blue healers. Um, there are, uh, the, the kids are maybe like six and four or something like that. And the mom and the dad, and, and I guess I would liken it a little bit, just a tiny bit to the Simpsons where like, it's less about Bart and more about Homer sort of like doing his thing. And like, and the, the dad in this one is just, he's like so involved. And so like the kids are like, dad, do this. And he's like, yeah, okay. And he'll get up from like on his computer and be with them, which is like total BS. No, like, I don't have time for that, but, uh, but I would love to be able to be that good of a dad. Um, and, and, uh, and the mom actually goes off to work most of the time. Uh, but the dad is, is, is just so involved in the kids' lives and he's such a goofball and the kids are, are constantly battling each other, but also in the end, always like sort of see the other person's side. But it is just so true and it rings so true for, for, for everyone that I, I highly recommend it. And, and I have now many friends who have kids who uh, are now on the bluey kick. So uh, it's like, it's like a, an episode a week. So we've binged all 52 of those and we're on to season two. I, what I, what I really hear you telling me is that I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to commit to Disney, the Disney channel plus thing. So I can watch that the Mandalorian and WandaVision. Yes. Yes, you might have to. 
<clears throat> or have a friend that does. But any, either way, it's uh, however you get it, uh, you need to watch. Yeah, you need to watch okay. it. Okay, all right. Uh, Queen's Gambit, loved it. I thought it was a very, very interesting show. Um, mm. And I thought really well done. The, um, uh, both the costumes, the set, the, the, the set design was just absolutely amazing. What drew you to that show? Uh, uh, it, I, I, yeah, I mean, all of it, it's just, uh, the, it's, you know, she's so destructive, but you're pulling for her, but you're also sort of just like, what is, what are you going to do next? But, uh, I, I actually like chess. I actually have, uh, uh, chess boards in my office that I unfortunately don't play that much anymore. I used to play a lot in grad school um, uh, with a, a friend there. Um, uh, I've tried to get my girls involved uh, thinking about it. Uh, so I, I like chess. I like thinking about it. I, I've never read a chess book because like I told you, I don't read books. Um, but uh, uh, it's it, just great. And I really hope they, they, they cut it off at one season. I, I, I really, I feel like that's done. And if they if they could do that and not ruin it with another season, I think it would be great. I feel like it's like, yes, that's awesome, and 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 please don't ruin it with another. Well, I just don't know how they would. Um, I'm not sure how they would continue that momentum, and um, you know that as you said that that self destructive streak that she had, it felt very much that it had kind of come full circle, and she was digging herself out of that and and really found ways to trust and rely on on people um to get her and i mean i don't want to spoil anything for folks but it felt like it had a uniquely satisfying ending and i don't know that mm -hmm. with the exception of of making someone more money i'm not necessarily sure where folks could go with a, a, a season two um it doesn't it would not make any sense to me so yeah yeah i concur now uh, the crown. I can't remember who else I talked to about the crown. Uh, what has been your favorite season of the crown thus far? Uh, so my wife watched the first two seasons and she wanted me to catch up, uh, so we could watch season three together. And so what we've done then is watch season one and two again, and then we've run out of time to watch three. So we actually didn't do what we tried to do and get me sort of like, so we could start watching the new stuff. Um, so just one and two is all I've seen. Um, I just don't, I, I just found the history, you know, who knows how real it is. Uh, uh, I don't know, but it, it makes for a great story. And it's so crazy to think about royalty, you know, this day and age and what it's like. And so I just found it fascinating. Yeah. All right. But, That's yeah. good. Um, we are currently binging on, the recommendation of, uh, and actually it's not binging, it's we're, we're being pretty methodical about it, but on the uh, recommendation of Professor Sarah Freeman, we're watching The Americans, which is a bit wild and uh, a little more stressful than I anticipated. Um, I Actually a lot more stressful than I anticipated. The end of the first season, and they're, they're shorter seasoned, which I can get behind, but... Um, it, it, it was a lot more stressful than I anticipated watching and I'm feeling more empathy for these Russians than I also thought I would, but it's uh, if you haven't watched it, Sarah Freeman recommended it and it's pretty good. I, I started it. Uh, it stressed me out. I don't need extra stress. So I didn't. Yeah. I'm, I'm, out. I'm out on that. Yeah. Totally understandable. <laughs> 
All right, let's take a little musical break and then we're going to head into our very, very last segment with Professor Dan Burgard. Um, but la not last song, but uh, second to last song is by R.E.M. and Hannah picked Man on the Moon. We'll be back in a second. Uh, I'm hoping you can talk for at least two minutes about your favorite elements. Mostly, mostly we're going to talk about your favorite sports, but okay. you're going to have to talk at least two minutes about your favorite elements. Two minutes, is it, okay. Is it yttrium? Yttrium, yeah. And what's molly? Molybdenum. Molly Molybdenum. 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 I'm not going to say it. Um, Molybdenum. I, I can get tungsten, carbon, yttrium, molybdenum. That's mm -hmm. Feels like a little too aluminium-ish. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, and I gotta look up one thing. Love it. I'd forgotten Lyle Lovett was married to Julia Roberts. Yeah, for a while, not anymore. Yeah. <clears throat> Alrighty then, welcome back, loggers. Hope you enjoyed that REM classic. Dan, what is your absolute favorite REM song, or is it "Man on the Moon"? Perhaps. Uh, it's it's not "Man on the Moon." It's uh, so you know all of these things come down to sort of where it places me. Uh, REM is uh, my high school career. Um, uh, REM is the first. Uh, uh, show i ever go see i the, they opened the green tour uh in the hometown of where i'm from <laughs> which we're, we're not talking about uh even though it's, anyway uh and so that was pretty big deal um uh and so we basically learned in high school all rem songs like that's how that's how i learned how to play um the bass guitar they are not super complicated but they are interesting enough that it was it was fun and so that's what got me rem uh it, puts me in a in a in sort of thinking about the high school days and my my good friends there um and the and that band um and thinking about like losing my religion and uh and trying to play that with my friend who had a mandolin and he ran it through a distortion pedal and you know just weird things like that if you've never seen on netflix song exploder have you heard of that no huh? they they go through different bands uh like iconic uh songs uh, even like uh, Lynn Manuel uh, Miranda and and uh, uh, my sh giving away my shot my shot but the, that that song and sort of like it's like a half hour show about how they came to making the, that song and what they were thinking about and all this stuff anyway uh, REM losing my religions on that it's just sort of interesting to hear people talk about their song and how it became a thing or how they didn't think it would be a thing and now it's such a thing and anyway uh, song exploder on on Netflix okay. Okay. Uh, I like that. And I would love to um, hear more. I think it's, uh, uh, is it taking my shot? My shot from uh, the Hamilton soundtrack? Yeah. 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 Uh, too bad. Uh, Nicole Carino and, and Carrie Nolasco um, uh, were guests on this podcast in sometime in the summer and spent easily half an hour uh, talking through all of that is the Hamilton soundtrack. So mm. we'll ask them later. All right, we have two sections left, two lists. Um, we're gonna talk about one briefly. It is your favorite elements. There's carbon, tungsten, yttrium, and molybdenum. 
almost Close. got it right. Close, closer than I was during the break. Um, I, I, was, I mean, I'm not surprised you're a chemistry professor, so it would seem like you'd have to, it's a requirement, right? That you have to have favorite elements. Yeah, probably, but mine are all for quirky reasons have nothing to do with the chemistry that much. Uh, uh, they really come down to the names, I think. I mean, carbon, carbon's on there because, you know, without carbon, it's, we don't really exist. So, of course, it gets its, it gets its thing. I mean, unfortunately, it, it's sort of overdone because organic chemistry is only really about carbon. And so that's great. Uh, it, but it has to be recognized as the building block of why we exist and really basically why anything interesting on this planet exists. So there you go, carbon. Um, what else was on my list? <laughs> yttrium, tungsten, and and I'm not going to try to them. Okay, so um, yttrium is literally on there because it starts, it's uh, uh, Y-T-T-R, and I've never come across a word that starts with four consonants. Now, granted, it's not a consonant because it's Y and it's giving you that, but it's just such a funny name. I don't know where it came from, and I probably could have dug it up, but yttrium is just, I just think it's a funny thing to start with those four letters, and that's literally why it's on there. But I, I uh, yeah, anyway. Um, uh, I used to, so when I was in high school, I used to uh, give them, give my students, uh, a, every week they had to learn another 10 elements, and they had to know the the name, the symbol, uh, and what number it was on the table. And I would tell them, if I can't tell you why that's an important element, then you don't have to memorize it. Um, and uh, I don't even know why I made them do that. This sounds terrible now. But um, uh, uh, when we got through the first three rows, but by the time you get to Yttrium, it's actually, I can't tell them anything interesting. It's rarer. It just doesn't, it doesn't, it's not, doesn't exist really much at all. Um, so uh, it's not all that interesting for chemical reasons, just because of the name. Okay, so there's that. Um, I'm going to skip to molybdenum, um, just uh, honestly, because I think it's fun to say, even though it's kind of a tongue twister, uh, molybdenum, uh, it's used um, in, it's a, an alloy in steels. Uh, Molly disulfide is an incredible uh, uh, lubricant, um, but uh, uh, it's just fun to say, molybdenum. Um, Let's go or, to carbon yeah, for sorry. a second. No, no, it's good. So, I, I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a science person. Um, I, I failed chemistry in college, um, but that's a different story for a different day. Um, I is am. It is it though? Maybe today is the day. No, okay. no. Okay, okay. Just. Uh, my, yeah, my folks don't need to know why I failed chemistry. That that's again not not today. Okay. Uh, Organic chemistry in particular, you said it's all about carbon. Organic chemistry um, from a staff side is the class that, and I, honest to goodness, will tell you this, I have seen probably three students in the women's restroom down the hall from my office crying about organic chemistry. If it's only about carbon, why is it? What makes OCHEM so so very difficult that it reduces people to tears? Uh, well, besides water in your body, most everything else is made up of carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen. A little bit of phosphorus, a little bit of sulfur, but but for the most part, it's everything in your body is a is some some form of carbon, like some branching of carbon. It's one element that can make four bonds. That's as many bonds as most things make. And it is the incredible complexity of structures that it makes that make 
that makes for the difference between your hair, your skin, your uh, uh, your whatever. I mean, it, it, it is the building block of all life. And because of that, there are lots of different ways you can build. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the key center of your tinker toy. And from that, how you build out and how you get one to change to another kind of molecule and to another one, um, it, 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 you only use five elements and yet it, you have an unlimited infinite number of things you can do with it. Um, yeah, I, you know, organic is, you know, it's the weed out class. It's the this, it's the that. Um, it, is a, it is a class. It is a 200 level class um, and it is the farthest biology majors and pre-meds go. So for the most part, they see it as sort of like the ult- penultimate class. It turns out it's, in my mind, just a 200 level class. There are 300 and 400 level classes. It's not mathy. There's no math in, in, in organic. And so it's incredibly, um, the, the complexity comes from the ways in which you, you form and break carbon bonds to make new things. But it's also, it's also the it, people into organic find the beauty in it because it's how you make things. You, you make a new drug, you make a new structure, you make a new polymer, you make whatever. It's, it, 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 it is, it, you can build anything you want to with carbon. I, that was very well said, and I'm uh, I'm not sure that uh, uh, those folks taking OCHEM one or two um, will feel any less burdened by it. But you know, <laughs> I'm not sure if I learned anything that's going to help the crying people down the hall. But you know, it's uh, it it is interesting to me because again, a non-science person listening to the amount of weight that our students put on that class is is fascinating to me um and well, and it's every year it's also de- it's what's demanded of them too it's a four-hour lecture with a four-hour lab with a lot of outside time um it is it is it is the most intense class although it's 200 level it is it requires a, an incredible amount of work from from them and with that, uh, the the sophistication and complexity of your understanding of chemistry grows so much during that class that it is why it is so crucial. But um, no, I, I there's nothing that made that sound like better, and there's nothing about it that makes it. I mean, I I I was happy to get my two C pluses in or, organic one and two, um, but it's also. Um, it's like a it's like a foreign language. Like the first couple of classes aren't really that fun. You're learning the vocab. You're learning how to do sentence structure, conjugation of verbs. Like that's not fun. It's the higher level classes that you get to use that. And organic is a lot of laying down fundamental things so that you Framework. can then build from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, we're gonna switch quickly from. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, 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 no. I asked the question. It's great. Uh, uh, we're going to move uh, from the foundation of chemistry, um, uh, organic chemistry, and go to really, and I should have should have put this at the top, but your favorite sports athletics to play or do, ice hockey, soccer, basketball, ski, and mountain biking. Mm-hmm. Um, are you excited about the Kraken coming to Seattle? I think so, yeah. Uh, I So... I was in Denver when the avalanche came and mm-hmm. it was transformative. Um, the place, you know, it was, there was hockey in Denver, but it became a hockey town once the abs came. Uh, and then for them to go from like bottom of the league 
as the Quebec Nordiques to becoming the, the, the Colorado Avalanche and winning, you know, a couple of championships back to back. I mean, that, that was huge. And, and the ice rinks went up and, and hockey just became a thing. Um, so, uh, <laughs> uh, I did not play hockey growing up again. Like I, I, it all comes back to like where I'm from. Uh, but I did not play growing up. And I, 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 my first experience was at Colorado college where they had a rink on campus and something like 80% of the student body plays in a real hockey, um, where the first league is the literally called the can't even skate league, where you are using the stick to hold yourself up. Um, it is unlike anything I had ever played before. And, uh, it, the, the puck, you move so much faster than you can run. The puck moves so much faster than a ball does. Uh, it, it, the speed with which it plays and, and just, it, it's just unlike a ball sport that way, um, for me. And so having grown up played, playing soccer, um, I played soccer for the college for two years. And then after enough injuries, just ended up quitting. Um, and partially was pretty happy because I got to play more hockey that way. Um, I don't know. Sorry, you asked about the Kraken. Yes. So I hope I hope that Seattle transforms uh, in, into more of a hockey town and that there are more rinks. Because right now in Tacoma, the, there, there are not many ice rinks and they're not very close. And, uh, uh, and so I hope I hope that there's more options to be able to play hockey. Yeah, the only uh, the only ice rink I think I've been to in Tacoma is on the flats, and uh, I went and watched a former student play in in a beer league there um, yes. a few years ago. Uh, she went on to um, <laughs> she went on to do something called uh, crashed ice. Uh, she she moved to Germany to try and make the Germans women German women's hockey team uh, didn't make that, but got recruited for uh, crashed ice, which was it's like a, a obstacle course on skates. It's um, you know as you said, and I think that was a really a great descriptor of of hockey. Everything moves faster when you're on on uh, very thin blades of metal. But um, imagine an obstacle course and, and there's moguls and, and hopping and sharp left turns. Um, there's a, at some point there's an eight foot wall that you kind of have to get enough speed that you can kind of jump up and then pull yourself up. It's a pretty, it's pretty interesting and magnificent sport, but uh, she competed for that for two years. But point of that is, is I actually have the only ice rink I've been to in Tacoma is out on the flats and it was through beer league. I've never seen a worse uh, rink than that one in the title flats. It's, it's pretty horrible. I mean, it's yeah. got the low ceiling and it feels, uh, well, I mean, you know, hockey rinks in general um, have that smell, that old hockey. Yes. My, my brother played uh, through high school and I, um, I went to college in a very hockey heavy town. So I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, in, a, in an ice rink and there is nothing like, uh, the smell of a hockey bag. It's Nothing so worse. Bad. It's yeah. so bad. It's so bad. Uh, it's yeah. yeah. Um, well, so that, that uh, rink has now become a marijuana grow facility. Uh, so, oh. so that's gone. Uh, there's Sprinker down South. And then supposedly they have now built two sheets down like around South 58th or something. Um, but that is uh, unconfirmed and I haven't gone down yet uh, to, to try it out. But um, uh Yes. Anyway, ice hockey, which I started playing in college and then played in men's leagues um, up until my first child was born. Uh, and at that point, it didn't seem fair to run off at 11 o'clock at night and play games. Uh, and so I actually haven't played hockey. I have not played in nine years. And it's uh, I'm really actually kind of sad about that. But it's not something you just like 
pick up and do unless you're, you know, up in Minnesota and they flood the pond and you go and play a little pond hockey. So I, yeah. Well, and it's a little bit, uh, I mean, hockey's a pretty, pretty strenuous sport. So you really have to also, you know, you have to play pretty frequently to not, not fall on your butt a lot. So, uh, but it's, it's a little harder work than learning to re rewrite a bike. I think at least that's my perception, but no, uh, uh I, to get back up to it is probably true, but, um, I don't, uh, I mean, sure. Right. <laughs> I was never really, I was never really very good, so I don't have a very far way to go down. But um, uh, it's just, I don't know, it's just fun, and it's just you know something I just came to love as an adult, and so um, it's just, yeah. Anyway, it's fun. Well, uh, when I talked to President Crawford back in September, um, he's a huge fan of of ice hockey as well, and I have oh. been, I have been assured that should he get Kraken tickets, um, that we'll all go or something together. He actually didn't assure me of that. I'm just hoping <laughs> crossing my fingers that that's what actually happens. But I would, uh, I would happily, you know, if anybody from uh, uh, that franchise is listening, I would happily go work for the Kraken. I think that'd mm. be great. It's my part next part-time. We can't, have uh, no, here. no, I would definitely take a full-time job. I'm not sure what I would do. Um, uh, but I would definitely take a full-time job working for an NHL team. Mascot? Mm -hmm. eh, I mean, you know, I'm not sure that I really want to uh, be associated with the the uh, crack house. Um, oh. That they're they're when they first announced the Kraken uh, mascot, there was a lot of very very unfortunate uh, oh. wordplay that mm -hmm. folks used. Um, highly highly. Uh, highly inappropriate, offensive mm -hmm. wordplay. So I think I'd, I'd rather not be. And plus, worse smelling than a hockey bag is a mascot. There's nothing that smells worse than a mascot. Oh, sounds like you have some experience. So, okay. Uh, you know, the Grizz costume yeah. lives close by. So okay. I, have, I have smelled that once or twice. It's not good. It's not good, Dan. I'm sure there's some kind of, kind of chemical element growing in there and it's not good but okay well i will stay away from that then all right dan thanks so much it was great talking to you it was good seeing you i feel like we've, you. you know during a pandemic haven't seen you all that much so it's great to spend an hour and a half with you thanks again it was my pleasure this was wonderful thank you yeah and uh uh yeah hopefully we'll we'll return in the fall and things will be slightly normal I won't actually be here in the fall. I'm on sabbatical next year and we are going to Spain for the year. So uh, we're going to have to put that, uh, we're going to postpone that for, for a year. Our, that non-pizza, that non-pineapple pizza thing. That's right. There's a lab in Spain that also measures things in wastewater. So we're going to go, I'm going to go over there and learn some, some cool new things. Take the fam. That's a, pretty exciting. That is tremendous. We'll have a wonderful time. Thank you. We um, will. Are you learning Spanish? I uh, am. I have a forty-six day streak going on Duolingo, so uh, I now know how to ask for apples for lunch. So yes, I, I will be fed. That's good. You'll be fed apples. That's it. Manzanas, I believe. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's well. That's tremendous. Have a really great time. Thank you. Thank you.
All right, loggers, as we head out into the rest of the day, uh, check out the last song on um, the combined uh, Dan Burgard, Hannah Washburn list. And it is uh, Dan's favorite singer, one of his favorite singers, rather, Lyle Lovett, and the song that Hannah picked, which is Cowboy Man. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Uh, keep wearing your masks. Keep physically distancing, as I know it's very, very hard. But uh, as the sun starts to shine, keep at it. Uh, we don't have that much longer to go till the end of the semester. Take care, y'all, and talk at you next week.